0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a
0: list.
1: Welcome into the flagship podcast, everybody. I am Chip Brown, Horns247.com, joined as always by my esteemed colleague at Horns247.com, the one and only Eric Henry. And we have been away from you, but we have not forgotten about you. My man Eric was a little under the weather, fighting through the flu. He's better now. He's feeling good. He's ready to rock it, give you all kinds of pre-Sugar Bowl tailgate material, For you and your friends, Uh, we appreciate you uh, tuning in to this episode of the Flagship Podcast. As we like to do, full disclosure, we are recording on Sunday, December 17th. Eric, the football team, has just put in a couple of Sugar Bowl practices, and so light work, walkthrough type stuff as they start to digest the game plan for their January 1st college football playoff semifinal in the Sugar Bowl against the number two and undefeated Washington Huskies. If you've been paying attention over at Horns247.com, we got a countdown going on over there. A lot has happened we need to talk about, including the fact that Malik Murphy, uh, Texas's backup quarterback, who came in and played and helped Texas beat BYU and Kansas State is in the transfer portal, will not be part of the college football playoff with Texas. So Arch Manning, QB2 going home to New Orleans, where he played high school football at Isidore Newman and his uncles, uh, where his uncles, Peyton and Eli Manning also competed. So a lot to get into, Eric. Um, I guess let's start with the, the Malik Murphy news. That's incredibly significant everybody wants to talk about the quarterback situation involving texas um we were not surprised by this news the the only question was would he try to hang on and maybe work something behind the scenes where he could stay with the team he had only until january 2nd to file his uh, paperwork to get into the portal Uh, The portal window is 30 days. It ends on January 2nd. There will be another portal window in May, but that's after spring football. If you're trying to get into a school as an early enrollee and go through spring with your new program, it just does not uh, match up with the schedules of the teams that are in the college football playoff.
0: Chip. I think everything you laid out there is key to understanding the decision from Malik Murphy to enter the transfer portal. My opinion is this. This is something, as you said, Texas, not shocked by this. We certainly were not surprised by this. I think this is something that was expected. And in my opinion, Chip, we're at a point in time of Malik Murphy's career, his collegiate career, in which any further development or growth by him He's going to be best served by reps and not 25% of practice reps, not the occasional start here or there. Malik Murphy, the next step for him in order to develop as a quarterback is going to be live game action. So his decision to enter the portal, not surprising. Steve Sarkeesian said all the right things when the initial Comments from, uh, uh, from Malik Murphy and company came down, spoke to Will Kunkel down there in Houston and said, hey, you know, and the fact of the matter is he's right when he says Texas wouldn't be in the position they're in without Malik Murphy's two starts. Certainly, the Longhorns did a phenomenal job recruiting that position. As you talk about Arch Manning being in tow as well, Malik having a capable backup and a capable third stringer to hold down the fort, given injury to your quarterback and Quinn yours. And of course we'll talk about it and take it or leave it right. Kind of how you feel about the quarterback situation, but all in all, Steve Sarkisian did an excellent job having capable backups now to the overall kind of timing and how this thing works out. Chip, as I said, you know, Malik is going to be best served by reps on the field. The best way for him to secure those reps is to find his next home. And, this I'm not going to lay at the feet of the 19, 20-year-old quarterback. I'm going to lay at the feet of the NCAA, in my mind, being a day late and a dollar short in adapting to this ever-changing climate of the transfer portal and the early signing day. Chip, in my mind, if you want to, and and and, and the reason I'm coming down so specifically hard on the NCAA is because this is really the first instance in which we've seen, unless you can recall one off the top of your head, I couldn't when I kind of went through and, and, and dove through. The first instance of a team that's ha- in the college football playoff, where a player has to make the decision between, do I stay with my current program or do I leave? Right, Usually the type of players who are in those scenarios, those situations are either A, primetime starters who are opting out to go to the NFL draft, or you know that they're going to be with their team. It's not a guy like Malik, who is a, a integral part in the sense that he's the backup quarterback, but not someone who may have to find another home. The early signing window is the culprit here, because if you have just one signing window, then you don't have the scenario where a Malik Murphy has to then decide, all right, well, teams are going to start signing quarterbacks now. And we're in such a a year chip in which the quarterback uh the transfer market is so quarterback heavy i mean we've seen guys like cam ward coming from the the lower ranks and even uh veteran starters uh, at various spots in the fbs landscape entering the portal where malik couldn't afford to wait till the second window because those spots are gonna fill up quick and whether the 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 teams that don't go to the portal likely have a quarterback recruiter they feel confident about so there was no time afforded for malik based on the calendar and the circumstances for him to wait around again we can talk about this you know probably in a million different ways but i, I it'd be hard pressed to find a coach in america who was a huge fan of the early signing day steve sarkisian talked about it a few weeks ago when he said you know some of these coaches getting fired late into the season as a byproduct of the early signing window and the fact that coaches are, or excuse me programs are trying to identify who that next coach is so they can go secure uh, the recruits that they're trying to get for the early signing window. and now we've seen it take effect here with players. So this has less to do with Malik having to make the decision early and, and having to choose between Texas and his future. And in my mind, more of the NCAA and, and the calendar and circumstances, really putting the kids, in this case Malik in a bad situation and the the unfortunately the the byproduct of that is Texas losing their backup quarterback. Yeah,
1: last year they had until January 18th um to you know get into the transfer portal. That allowed Adnai Mitchell to go through the entire college football playoff and then make the move to the University of Texas in time to take part in you know, as an early enrollee and go through spring football with Texas. And so moving it up to January 2nd really um, makes it difficult to get in visits. I mean, you're trying to make an informed decision here. We we know um, Chris Hummer and Matt Zenitz have done a great job of tracking um, Malik Murphy has visits um, involving Duke and Baylor. And uh, we've heard there's interest from Florida. And um, I mean, there's even some speculation about Washington, but um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. That would be odd and awkward if he somehow were, you know, involved with Washington before the sugar bowl. But um, yeah, it's, it is, it's a first world problem. It's, it's one that the college football playoff teams are having to deal with uh, because most of the the bowl games wrap up, you know, well before January one. But um, it it is what it is. Texas has Arch Manning now as QB two. We've seen glimpses of Arch Manning in the Texas Tech game. He was only two for five for thirty yards, but the two completions he had were a third down completion um, and a fourth down completion to extend a 13, 91 yard drive to a touchdown. So that um, we have that little bit of resume work for Arch Manning. He ran around a little bit, had a 12 yard run. He also had a 10 yard fumble that he had to jump on that cost him 10 of his rushing yards. So um, it was, you know, that look that 13 play 91 yard touchdown drive was the, was the signature so far of the Arch Manning playing time. And then of course he got in for victory formation in the big 12 championship win over Oklahoma state. As you said, we will, we will come back to Arch Manning in take it or leave it. We, we do have a couple of practices under our belt. And as we reported it, Horns 24, 7, dot com jody baron working at safety in addition to his star um nickel position and um you know we speculated about this a little bit eric and with Derek williams missing the first half of the sugar bowl because of his suspension for targeting on the opening kickoff of the big 12 title game he will miss the first half of the sugar bowl that leaves jaron thompson michael taff and keaton crawford as the most experienced safeties with the most snaps Jody Barron has played some safety um i think 16 snaps i i looked and saw on pro football focus and so it's not a necessity or it's not a sure thing The Jaday Barron will see time at safety, but he is working there to get more comfortable with the Texas game plan for Washington in case he needs to play safety in that game.
0: Your thoughts? Chip, it's two quarters. And now I know for anyone listening, they may say two quarters is certainly a lot of time to jump on a team, right? And then we're talking about an offense, excuse me, as potent as Washington's. The with number two, one passing attack in FBS. With two stud receivers and a stud quarterback, right? That's a long time. However, this is my 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 gut feeling on this chip. I'm going to use a little bit of an analytics stat, right? Wins above replacement. How am I going to apply that here? The question is this. If Jade Barron is moved to safety you're probably going to see Jalen Gilbo, right? In, in the star. That, that's that's what you got to think. That's right. Is what you're getting with Jade in rotation, because we have to assume, Chip, that he's going to be part of the rotation that has been a topic of this podcast seemingly since week one or week two um, with Michael Taff and Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford. This is not going to be Jade Barron out there for all however many plays of the first two quarters, right? Is that... Above? Although I would
1: like him on the field
0: somewhere. Right. There you go. There you go, Chip. Is that above who's going to be the replacement in Jalen Gilbo? I don't know. I know I don't know isn't a satisfying answer, right? For those of us who cover the team, we're supposed to have some sort of gut feel on this. But Chip, I I I there's a lot of unknowns. There's the part of me that feels like, okay, Jade with Fourteen or so days, however many days to, to prep at safety. He's going to make an impact, right? It's not like you're just throwing him out there like it's all man break glass in case of in case of emergency. In the cases that he's had to slide over to corner, and you know, sometimes we've seen him outside of the star. You got to think he's going to be going to be prepared. But on the other hand, I'm asking myself a guy who was such a valuable piece, such an impactful piece at nickel at star, is switching him out. Allowing Jalen Gilbo, you know Washington's gonna attack that. It just leaves me with more questions and answers. And I'm not necessarily saying this from a, a negative sense. I'm just saying if you feel, and this is kind of what I said last week, if you feel as confident as you do in Mookie Taff and Jaron Thompson, and even Keaton Crawford, it 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 leaves me feeling a little bit uneasy. That we're gonna take Jade away from his natural position, and not just his natural position. It's the one that he's been most impactful in this entire year, right? So that to me, Chip is is the big question. If I had to give it back to you on some sort of definitive statement, how do I feel about it? I think Jade is gonna make plays wherever he's at, but it just leaves me wondering. You know, it puts a lot of pressure on Jalen Gilbo, right? To uh, the, the a Chip, how many times this year have we seen Jade Barron make an open field tackle? and prevent a play that probably could have gone for six, seven yards to be a, a no-yard game or a one-yard loss, right? Uh, probably half a dozen times, if not more. How many times have we seen him read a play that likely, if if you're taking someone else and put them in that spot, is a completion, and Jaday is there just in a nick of time to break that up, right? That's my, my, my concern for two quarters. It, it, when Derek Williams gets in, I think all will be fine. But I just, I just don't know. It's that wins above replacements that. It's that you know that value of that player that that will be in the position for Jade that just leaves me feeling a little bit uneasy. Listen, this may all be for not. Jalen Gilbo may step up. As Chip, you know, you covered this team last year. He opened last year in that star position, right? So he may rise to the occasion and play well. But it just leaves me wondering, there's a reason why Jaday has provided such value this year at star.
1: Yeah, and Jade played safety. Um, some in 2021. So he's been all over the place. He knows what's going on. In fact, I'll never forget he, um, BJ Foster, the safety uh, who transferred out of the program after that 2021 season had an interception in the third quarter in the Arkansas game. And Foster told me that it was Jody Barron who tipped him off that that play was coming and, he could anticipate it and he did and he made the interception in fact vj foster said it in a way that made it sound like well how did he know and you not know um here was jody Barron, this young whippersnapper bj foster this highly recruited uh veteran at safety who uh, was getting tipped off by the by the young you know the young uh whippersnapper. snapper. So um Barron's just got a great football sense. And and look, Jalen Gilbo's a guy who's gonna be competing at that star position, depending on what Jody Barron decides to do. He's he's a senior. Uh he's got a he's got a COVID red shirt season. Um, but you know, the early thought is that Jody Barron probably moves on to the NFL draft after this season, but nonetheless for the Washington game, um, I just know that Washington and I've been told they're similar to Houston. Houston went after Texas's safeties over and over and over again. Sometimes with success, Michael Taft did have an interception in the end zone in that game, but i um, You need confident playmakers. Like, this is what I'm going to bang the drum all leading up to the Sugar Bowl. You got these 15 bowl practices. Blake Gideon, Terry Joseph, get your guys coached up so that when they take the field, they're confident so that they are the hunters, not the hunted, because it just feels like the safety position has been hunted all year, and at times it's been more successful for the opponent than others, but we know from the three heart attack games against Houston, TCU and Kansas state that opponents went after the safeties with success. And you don't think Washington's going to hunt that. I mean, that's the one most impressive thing last year in this game, they targeted safety. Anthony cook 11 times, so they saw something that they liked and they kept going at it. Now to Anthony Cook's uh, credit, it wasn't a feast against him, but they felt like that's the guy they wanted to target and they did. So they also went after Ryan Watts because Ryan Watts at the line of scrimmage, if he gets his hands on you and can redirect you, he wins. If he doesn't, once the once it's you're out in coverage, It's a, it's a little bit different story, especially if you've got a big receiver like Roman Dunze um, going up against Ryan Watts. So look, it's going to be fascinating. Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb. Remember Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator at Washington turned down Nick Saban um, in January. And that's why Saban went and hired Tommy Reese. So Nick Saban thinks enough of Ryan Grubb and what, he and Kalen DeBoer are doing at Washington that he wanted some of that. So uh, this is going to be an incredible test for the Texas defense. And you just want your guys playing as confident as possible, Eric. I mean, it seems like there have been times where the secondary does not look confident. It looks, it gets grabby and handsy for no reason. Terrence Brooks, you're in good position. You don't need to run a guy off the field. Just, you know, turn around and look for the ball. And so, uh, you know, I'm not breaking any news here. I think this is one of the biggest concerns of Texas fans going into this game.
0: Chip, I want to throw this out at you and and get your thoughts. Listen, again, we have no doubts about Jody Barron's ability as a football player. Um, Led the team in tackles for loss two seasons ago. Think about that. In the latter stages, and I'm glad you mentioned that, I'm going to come back to that. Latter stages of this year, when Jade was asked to do a million things because guys were getting banged up and we had to move them around and this, that, and the other. Uncharacteristically, in coverage, Jade got flagged, was it twice for PIs? I think one was a bit questionable. The other one seemed to be very clear. Um, I'm just wondering again, if if that's something, again, no one's questioning Jade Barron's ability to play in coverage, despite the fact that he's a little bit smaller than. Uh, Romo Denze, who's what, 6'3", 215, Jalen Polk, about 6'2", 205. I I have no doubt that if it's a one-on-one matchup, you know, he he can hold his own. But that's just something that crosses my mind as well. When you have someone who is such an instinctive playmaker playing downhill, coming at what's at him uh, behind the line of scrimmage, again, it's just something that crosses my mind because, Chip, it only takes one or two, right? It takes one deep ball, one P.I., and 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 that could be the difference between seven points right there. So I want to bounce it off you really quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's a concern. I mean, sign of a well-coached team is week-to-week improvement. I, I feel like you look at most every position on the field, it got better except for safety and at times corner because they're making the same mistakes. And the sign of a well-coached team is you make the mistake, you learn from it, you don't make that mistake again. And I like Terrence Brooks as a cover corner. I like him. He doesn't need to be that. He doesn't need to be running guys off the field and trying to make it look like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm like Brock Cunningham, my man, you know, it's like, Hey, my hands are <laughs> up in the air. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't just uh, cut his legs excellent, out from under Brock Cunningham reference, <laughs> right? I mean, it's good to be physical. It's good to, but when you're running stride for stride with a guy, just turn around and look for the ball and and Terrence Brooks against Oklahoma against Oklahoma state in the big 12 title game got and got handsy in a couple other games where he didn't need to, didn't need to. Michael Taft got handsy on a pass interference call at at Baylor in the end zone. Didn't need to, you were there, just turn around and look for the ball. So it's um that's a concern. That's a concern for me. Like if I'm doing a grading report card, like I'm, I'm In the end of the year review, I'm calling in, you know, Terry Joseph, the secondary coach, and Blake Gideon, the safeties coach, and saying, okay, let's talk about what happened this year and how it needs to get better because this, look, it may not be an issue at all. Maybe they, they, these 15 bowl practices can make an enormous difference. I thought we saw a much improved Quinn Ewers after the bowl practices last year in this game against Washington. He he was up and down, his confidence was kind of hard to track. But I thought in the in the Alamo Bowl it was a new, improved, confident, self-aware Quinn Ewers that he continued to build on right into this season. And we've seen great improvement from Quinn Ewers' decision making, although he still does have some of those uh what were you thinking interceptions? But um obviously he's you know, showing an an incredible ability to bounce back from early uh adversity and get righted. And that's that's something. I mean the NFL looks at that immensely. You can't allow early mistakes to to sink your battleship. So um yeah I'm I mean I think this this is a this is why Steve Sarkeesian and these coaches make the big bucks because You don't want to diminish, um, you know, you don't want to make, you don't want to move Johnny Baron to safety and diminish both the star nickel position and the safety position. Um, But these coaches are with these players every day. They know what they can do. So we will, we'll wait and see. It's obviously one of the bigger moves um, that could or could not happen in this game. And, We know that Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan are going to be the biggest factors in the Washington offense, along with running back Dylan Johnson. The other nugget from practice, um, Eric, is that there are three portal players. There are three current members of the Texas football team in the portal who are Continuing to practice with the team and will be available for the sugar bowl. Casey Kane receiver who had a hundred yard game against Washington in the Alamo bowl a year ago. Uh, Sawyer Gorham Welch backup offensive lineman and Larry Turner. Good safety who uh, along with BJ Allen are both in the portal at this time. So interesting and that's the other thing I wonder. Okay, what happened to BJ Allen? What happened to Larry Turner Gooden? Cuz Larry Turner Gooden looked like he was kind of moving forward and we haven't seen him on the field. So, um just something to to file away uh as we approach the Sugar Bowl. Um a couple other nuggets and I do you have anything on the the Portal players who are working with the team. I mean, it's not like Casey Kane's gotten a lot of reps. I mean, A.D. Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy have been spectacular. They've been healthy. So Steve Sarkeesian has rolled with those guys
0: yeah chip i mean nothing too much more to add on that just besides the fact that those guys for their own personal future they're probably best benefited by staying and practicing as opposed to being on the street right so that's all i was going to add there so i'll let you come back to the other nuggets you have there as we're leading into things
1: well the you know the fascinating thing here is that washington has the nation's longest winning streak in fbs 20 games and um In that 20-game winning streak, they are 11-0 in one possession games and 9-0 against AP Top 25 teams, including the win over Texas um, in the Alamo Bowl a year ago. Only four times was Washington the underdog uh, in those games. Uh, two of them against Oregon, uh, including uh, 12. They were 12-point underdogs at Oregon a year ago. They won that game 37-34. Obviously, they were 10-point underdogs in the Pac-12 title game just a couple of weeks ago. And they won that game by three points as well. And And so this is a confident Washington football team. I mean they've found ways to win. Uh probably their you know biggest near death experience was um the game against Washington State. But um this is a team that has found ways to win and here we are. 20 game winning streak. Number 2 in the nation undefeated. Kalen DeBoer uh is 24 and 2 in in his two seasons at Washington and he's got a staff of coaches who coached with him at Sioux Falls when he won three, uh, division two national championships and, you know, Ryan Grubb, like I said, his offensive coordinator is now being sought after by the likes of Nick Saban. So, um, Confidence is everything in this life, right, Eric?
0: <laughs> no doubt about it, Chip. If you don't look in the mirror, wake up in every morning and look in the mirror and think you're the man, no one else is going to think you're the man. Chip, I'm going to take this in, in, in a different direction, if you don't mind, because I would love your, your, your thoughts on this. Um, I know at various points this year, we've asked ourselves, right? Like, is this a make or break game for Sark? And I don't mean break as in anything drastic, but like, you know, in terms of a proving ground game, right? And he answered those questions against Alabama, right? And then came back and won the Big 12 title and answered that question again. And I don't want to keep moving the goalpost. But Chip, and again, we'll probably get more into this, you know, next week, but you take a look at the four teams in the playoff, and there's only one team in my mind you can make the cases look just drastically, or I mean drastically, but look better than Texas from start to finish, and that's Michigan, right? You know, the, the rest of the teams, Texas beat Alabama, and I, I, in my mind, yes, while Washington's been undefeated, I, I don't think that Texas at points has looked like a better football team. Chip. You brought up the various experience of both of these staffs, right? Is this another one of those games for Steve Sarkeesian where it's, hey, all things considered, you've exceeded expectations this year. This is another one of those legacy-making games where it's like, hey, you're going up against a guy who, while sure, has his own history of success, was at the Division II level. You've been here and done that at the FBS level, not as a head coach, but as an assistant. Is this one of those types of games, Chip, or am I, am I unfairly moving the goalpost on Sark again? Well, I think no matter how you slice it,
1: um, that it, it because you can look at um, the coaches who've had success at lower levels and then moved up. Kalen um, DeBoer, the latest. We've seen Chris Kleiman win a Big 12 championship after coaching North Dakota State to national championships. And, and so this is a fair fight. I mean, this is, this is just going to go down as a very, very significant moment in time um, for Steve Sarkeesian. And this is why we said this team needed to be in the college football playoff. You don't get rosters like this every year. I mean, now with the transfer portal um, and NIL, it's going to be harder for Alabama to maintain its dominance, obviously. Um, but what, what Nick Saban has done, do, I mean, just totally blows what you know Bear Bryant did there out of the water. And the fact that Alabama's back in the college football playoff after all the turnover we were talking about coming into the season with you know, losing Bryce Young and um, the pipeline of quarterbacks, changing out coordinators again, and on and on. Um, and I like the way that Steve Sarkeesian has adapted and always talks about adapting and don't be a dinosaur. You got to adapt, and and I think he's done a really good job of that. And so this is this is just a fantastic opportunity, is what it is for Steve Sarkisian, for Texas, because I'll make the argument they're the most complete team of the four. And even after I just went to town on the safety position, um, I still think these are these are good football players. I mean, Jaron Thompson's made plays in big games. He had an interception in this Alamo Bowl game a year ago, had an interception against Alabama that was huge, led directly to a touchdown. These guys can play good football. And this Texas team is—it's—it's it's a great opportunity, and it from the sounds of it, from the players, from the coaches, um, they're taking the approach of, you know, don't uh, don't be satisfied. We're not done yet. So we'll see how this plays out because, you know, Sarkeesian's bowl record is not great. It's two and three. But he hasn't been in a bowl game since he's been with, yeah. You know, I mean, the Alamo Bowl, obviously, and the opt-outs, and I don't really like using that as an excuse, but um, whatever. He, he's owned one in bowl games at Texas, and and he needs to get that going. He's been in college football playoff situations before at Alabama. He won the national championship in 2020. Um, he knows how Nick Saban prepares for the college football playoff. So I sure as heck would give that advantage to Steve Sarkeesian over Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer hasn't been on a staff that's gone to an FBS college football playoff or won a national championship. So um, I guess I would just say that. I mean, make that coaching
0: experience work in your favor that's that I I couldn't uh, agree with you more. And again, it's not taking anything away from Kalen DeBoer's time at division two level, but you chip, you the nail on the head. If we're just comparing all things, you know, the same, you take a look at the staffs. These guys have been there and done that make that be the edge. It's, 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 it's like chip, you know, when, when you have a great coach and those things should account for an extra win or two each year. I think these are the moments when it should account for for the most right so couldn't agree with you more There, appreciate your uh, your perspective there. well a couple quick things before we get to
1: take it or leave it obviously um uh, i want to get your thoughts on texas basketball you were there <laughs> in houston texas takes down an lsu team i thought they should have beaten lsu six and four coming into that game um you know they were no Marquette. Let's put it that way. Your thoughts? Dylan Dazoo makes his his return to Texas after the offseason foot surgery, and Texas wins this game. Give me your thoughts on the on Longhorns basketball at this moment, Eric.
0: Ah, uh, Chip. It feels like we've said this a lot about the horns this year. It was a tale of two halves in my mind. You know, Texas went up by 19, 56 of 37 at the half, really spearheaded in large part by the return of Dylan DeSue. That was the thing, Chip. We would kind of hinted at it over the past couple of weeks in The Insider. If you're not reading The Insider, what are you doing? But of course, everyone who listens to this podcast is reading The Insider. So I guess that's a rhetorical question. Nevertheless, um, DeSue had, had been kind of just, you know, slowly warming up. I remember... Uh, was after the second or third game of the year. We saw him out there about 90 minutes before pregames. He just kind of getting some, you know, pick and roll situations. And then it became, all right, we're going to get out there and do some things and warm up with the, the, throughout the entirety of warmups. And after that Houston Christian game, it seemed pretty obvious, Chip, that he was going to be back. And I, I really enjoyed the way that he was just inserted back in the lineup. It was first man off the bench, kind of taking IT Horton, the UCF transfer spot as that first man off the bench. And Chip, that to me, I, listen, it is a guy who rodney terry's called he said can be an elite shooter and if you go back to his history this is for school was at delaware Pitt, ucf he's been a, a very good shooter everywhere he's gone but he's not a defensive marvel <laughs> it's it leaves a lot to be desired desired on the defense but he tries god bless him but he's not great so i thought to me that it was noticeable with you know uh dylan thesubi in the first guy off the bench knows right, we need More defense, more size, more rebounding, you know, activity, that thing, those things paid off early on in the first half. But in the second half, this kid, Jordan Wright, I I I was told that on the broadcast, um, they referred to as bully ball. Yeah, he he did just decide, all right, you know, no more kind of settling for jump shots. I'm going to go right at Max Ace Miss Tyrese Hunter. And Chip, there was a pivotal point in this game where LSU cut the lead to seven, looked like they were going to get the ball back with an opportunity to cut it to five. Max Acemiss misses a shot. He hustles over to draw a tie up the LSU bench. They get hit for a technicals. One of the players said something, two-point swing, and then you LSU is never really in it again. But I I definitely think in a sense, they've exposed one major flaw with the Horns. And that's the defense from the guards. Tyrese Hunter's got to be that guy who he's brought in from Iowa State to be that lockdown defender because he he's chip. Tyrese is listed at what six three, maybe, but he he's not he's not that big. You know, he's not a six five, six, six guard, and max is listed at six foot, six one, a little shorter than that. You know, he's not a defensive wonder by any stretch of the imagination. We saw the way. That Jordan Wright just took it had 31 points in the second half finished with 33 31 in the second half so I think the biggest takeaway from the LSU game for me this team you know they're going to be able to score points Max Asemis, whether he starts two for 10 or starts you know eight for 10 he's going to hit his averages he always finds a way to reach 20 points Dylan Mitchell Looking like an active presence there on the defensive end. Uh, he's turning those things into points. And, and you got to feel good about Shedrick as well, Caden Shedrick. But teams are gonna look to expose this team the guard play. So whether it's IT as a, the first guard off the bench, um, Kendall Weaver's been the saving grace. I was gonna to- say
1: Kendall Weaver's about to get a whole bunch of minutes because that dude's effort is unlike any other one, anyone else on the on this team. He reminds me a little bit of Royal Ivy, the great defensive stopper from the O three Final Four team. Or yeah, um, the O three final four team. And he's long enough and he cares enough and he's got the heart to play that that kind of defense. I think he's gotta get more minutes because um, like you said, they've got scores, they've got Ace Miss, they got Shedrick, they got DeZo. You can afford to have a guy who's just hustling to to play defense and set other guys up.
0: Yeah, Chip, I just was gonna gonna mention this little fun fact really about Kendall. We asked him about his defensive tenacity, and he's like, "Yeah, when you got a sister who's really really good at basketball, and you're trying not to get beat all the time, you you, you learn how to be a defensive presence." Again, for those who may know Kendall Weaver's sister, of course, uh, was a fourth overall pick in the WNBA draft. So. That's why I mentioned that, but yeah, no. I, just to finish up that thought, Chip, um, with Weaver, he, he his presence is going to be especially needed because if Tyrese's defensive play doesn't kind of get back to that guy they expected, it, it, it leaves a lot of that's a big hole because Max, for all the things he is as a scorer, he, he's not a defender. And it, as I said, you know, same thing with him. He's a, a three point guy and he tries his best, but it, Chip, I'm sure you've seen it this year. <laughs> Sometimes it will have these lapses in defensive coverage where you just wonder, like. Why'd you leave your back? Well, <laughs> if his shots not falling, it it affects his defense, and
1: that right. that's right. un that's not allowed. Like, and that's Rodney Terry's got to get that under control because when when who you know his mentor is Rick Barnes. When Rick Barnes saw that from guys, they were out. And it's like, get your head right. If I'm going to put you back in this game, you better give me everything you've got on defense. Your offense will come. Don't worry about your offense. Give me everything you've got on defense and trust me, your offense will come. And I T I've seen enough of this from the orange white scrimmage on. He's not getting that message that, Hey, if your shots off, we got to have other things from you. We can't have you falling asleep on the defensive end. And then you're doing nothing for us. You're missing shots and you're playing crap defense that's no good. So and it, it inevitably it gets guys their confidence back because you play great defense. You can feel good about that. Then all of a sudden your shot starts falling and you know, it's not, it's not the bill self motion offense. Um, but it, it tends to get your head back in the game. I'm worried about that with it Horton for sure. And that's, that's another reason I would say, Sorry, it. We got to give more of your minutes to Kendall Weaver because that guy's going to make hustle plays and he's going to get us extra
0: possessions. And we'll take that right now. Sure. And the of the hope is that it again, if you, I think still to t- still statistically, excuse me, tripped over that word there, uh, it is still the best three point shooter on the team. So you got to hope that that shot's going to come down consistently. But yeah. To, to the point you make, Chip, it, when it's not falling, you got to hustle back defensively. And, and it's started to pick up over the last couple of games, but it still has it, it, its moments. So all in all, that's the biggest takeaway from the LSU game, in my mind, is you saw the way again, 31 points in the second half uh, from the get from LSU. That, that it, it, You definitely can't have that, especially once again, the Big 12 play, because LSU, uh, very much a run-of-the-mill average SEC team. Yeah. All right, well, run-of-the-mill and average are not –
1: Ways we would describe the Texas women's volleyball team, full disclosure, we're recording before their national championship match with number one, Nebraska, um, on Sunday. And it's crazy to say that Texas, the defending national champions, were not expected to be in this position. They were the number five team uh, coming into these NCAA championships. They knocked off number two, Stanford. In Palo Alto, after being swept by Stanford early in the year, and those two matches probably do as good a job of setting up how this Texas volleyball team has grown. Of course, they lost Logan Eggleston, first-team All-American, three-time Big 12 Player of the Year, um, and they lost their their setter, whose name I will never, ever, ever be able to pronounce: Kiana Ana Ana Torres, um, and. Look, your setter is your quarterback. And if you and and your libero, uh Zoe Fleck, all American, first team all American. Your Libero is the one who wears the dark jersey. She's flying all over the floor, digging out balls. She's your defensive specialist. She's the one who has to have all the angles on all the hitters to know exactly where the ball's going. So she can dive and try and keep it from hitting the floor so the other players can keep it alive. Um, you lose your setter, your libero, and your top hitter. You're not expected. To be back now remember this is a volleyball team that opened the season with a loss at long beach state and was two and two four games into the season ella swindle if if you follow texas women's volleyball freshman true freshman has emerged as one of the top setters in college volleyball as a true freshman had 46 assists in the upset over wisconsin played her best game. She's getting better. Like in the NCAA championships, her assists have gone up every game, including this game against Wisconsin. And Wisconsin has one of the biggest front lines in, well, they do have the biggest front line in volleyball because of Anna Schmreck, who's 6'9", and she was blocking Madison, uh, Maddie Skinner left and right. So what did they do? Great adjustment by Jared Elliott we're going to start setting, uh, you know, other players, Molly Phillips. Um, And the fact that uh, Ellis Wendell was able to pull this off seamlessly was fantastic. And this Texas volleyball team, win or lose in this national championship game, and it is against their nemesis, Nebraska, who's beaten them in two other National championship matches in 95 and 2015. And of course, this is the Nebraska volleyball team that set the world record for attendance for a women's sporting event earlier this year. 92,000 fans went to Memorial Stadium to see them play Omaha in an outdoor volleyball match. Um, Fantastic season for Jarrett Elliott in this um, Texas women's volleyball team. I'm not even mentioning Emma Halter, the sophomore libero who had 19 digs against wisconsin she was everywhere flying all over the floor digging out these balls keeping them from hitting the floor keeping points alive it wore down wisconsin and um i mean the fact that two of your best players are freshmen true freshman, and a sophomore um, incredible great chemistry on this team fun to watch so great season for uh, texas women's volleyball for sure back in the national championship game again under jared elliott so all right, Eric, you ready to get to some Take It or Leave It? I am, sir. All right, let's do it. All right, we are uh, we're back. And if you're watching us on the Horns 24-7
0: YouTube channel, of course, we're just rolling on into some Take It or Leave It. Eric? Take It or Leave It. I think this is my turn to... Tossed to you, and we had three take-it-or-leave-its last week. Those of you, Those of you who um, listen, we've been keeping score. However, none of them are things that were scorable. So we will remain the same, which is about expected against you know, this time of year. We're throwing out some hypotheticals around the bowl game. So it's going to be the same again this week with take-it-or-leave-it. The first one, we are coming back to the quarterback situation. Chip Brown, you feel better about Texas' QB2 situation with Arch Manning over Malik. Murphy, take it or leave it.
1: Okay. This is a tough one because um, I'm obviously a big Malik Murphy fan. Loved uh, his mojo. Loved the fact that he was a great teammate. His teammates love him. Remember, he was the one in charge of the Ox Cable uh, with the music in the locker room. And just a lot of great energy around Malik Murphy. Now, he did have some unbelievable moments in his two starts against BYU and Kansas State, namely a 30-yard touch, 30 and 37-yard deep ball touchdowns to Adonai Mitchell in each of those games. Uh, But he also had some turnovers that were head scratchers, and especially against Kansas State, his second start because you wanted him to learn from the kind of throw it up for grabs interception he had against BYU. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to leave this. I don't know that I feel better. I feel maybe the same because what Arch Manning maybe isn't as comfortable doing yet in the passing game
0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: I think he will run more effectively than Malik Murphy and as a young quarterback your legs can bail you out of situations. So, I'm going to leave this. I, I I I'd say I feel about the same because I'm trusting that Arch Manning is going to use these 15 bowl practices to be as sharp as can be. And, and knowing that he's now truly one play away, I think that adds to his preparation, but I will leave this, Eric. How about you?
0: Chip, I, you just took my argument word for word. I'm going to leave it in. It's funny. The amount of times, you know, I encounter people who are not around the program like us, day in and day out chip and weren't there in the fall to hear arch hitting 20 miles an hour (laughs) right um the amount of times people say arch Arch bolt arch bolt right i times people say to me man that kind of surprised me arch ran because i think the average person might just think all right you put the last name manning right and you're only applying it to this manning of course you go back to that that first Manning, that guy could run a little bit, right? So it's it's a bit of an even deal there. Grams. Um, <laughs> exactly, right. Chip, where I'm going with that is this. The same, in theory, the same mistakes that you kind of had from Malik Murphy, there's no reason in my mind to think that Arch Manning would be immune to those. He's a true freshman still learning the college game. The only difference is his legs might bail him out some. But I don't necessarily know that I feel better about Arch than I do. Malik I'm, and is going to confidently leave it because it's hard for me to feel better about the kid who's had uh, some garbage time snaps, as opposed to the kid who's played eight quarters of football as a starter. So in my mind, and, and, and what, it was actually what eight is a starter. And then what about nine? Cause he had to come in for the Houston game uh, and close that one out too. So uh, I I'm going to leave it and it's nothing necessarily to do with Arch's development as much as game experiences, game experience.
1: Yeah, and Malik, say what you want, in that K-State game, he led that drive to the field goal that ultimately, um, you know, got Texas uh, helped contribute to that win. So, um, all right, take it or leave at number two, Eric, Malik Murphy made a mistake by not staying with the team through the college football playoff. And filing his paperwork to get into the portal on January 2nd, the day after the game and the deadline to enter the portal for this 30 day window. Take it or leave it.
0: I'm leaving it, Chip. At the end of the day, the only way this thing could be characterized as a mistake is if Malik had any intent on coming back and competing for this job, whichever role, QB2 or QB1, we'll see what things shake out next year. If Malik Murphy was going to transfer, he did not make a mistake by leaving now. As we talked about in the early portion of this podcast, the schedule, the timing, the NCAA did this to Malik Murphy, not Malik Murphy doing anything to Texas. I don't even think he would have been better served by the 15 bull practices and more tutelage under Sark. If he's got to figure out where his next home is, he's got to do that now, especially with Chip, the litany of quarterbacks that are in the transfer portal and guys who are already finding homes and taking potential homes away from Malik Murphy. So I'm leaving it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd love to say, you know, that uh, I'll take this because you just really want him to be a part of the college football playoff. If If this team goes on to win the national championship, having not stayed with his teammates who he loves. And I do believe that. And the team that he helped get there by starting those two games against BYU and Kansas State, your heart hurts for him uh, in the fact that he's missing out on this once-in-a-lifetime experience. In some cases, uh, it's it's a none-in-a-lifetime experience for a ton of, uh, well, for, you know, a ton of schools in FBS, so... You know, but I, for his sake, for his own um, outlook and for his future, uh, I will leave this as well because look, he's trying to, he's trying to get an informed decision here and then get into his new school when it starts back up in early January and the transfer portal dates just don't work for that. Like we said, last year you had until January 18th. So Adonai Mitchell, who did not take a visit to Texas, finished the college football playoff uh, and the national championship won by Georgia and then decided to go to Texas and barely made it in before the ad drop uh, was over at Texas. It was tight, but he, he made it work, but that was only because he had until January 18th this year, you only have until January 2nd. So it's just, Come on, NCAA, figure this out. Help help these guys out.
0: All right. Eric. Take your lead last it three. Yeah, the last one we'll bring it home here. Chip Washington being the third most penalized team in the nation will play a factor in the sugar bowl. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Man, you sure hope so. <laughs> I was
1: I was kind of interested in this that you know, when I was looking at Washington to find out that they were the third most penalized team in the nation and they, they, uh, they've had three games where they are penalized more than a hundred yards, um, against Michigan state against Arizona, which was a one possession game and against Utah, which was also a, a one possession game. Um, and that, They've had 17 pass interference penalties. The majority of their penalties have been on defense, 17 pass interference penalties, including five by their second team, all pack 12 cornerback Jabbar Muhammad. Number one, you can't miss him. He's very physical. He's very, He's a kid from DeSoto went to Oklahoma state transferred to Washington. Um, So you're hoping maybe there's a, pass interference penalty over there on uh, Jabbar Muhammad if you're the Texas Longhorns um look this is enough of a trend that I'll say yes yes I'm gonna I'm gonna take this Eric Washington has shown that they are penalty prone I'm gonna take this Chip, say you
0: you you know me, I, I'm big on trends. If we're talking three, four, five weeks into the year, different story. But at this point, you gotta think that is going to be an issue. I was curious, and so I'm glad you outlined the penalties here because I was curious, are we talking about pre-snap penalties or procedural penalties or you know what are we talking about? Right. But yeah, if 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 you've got a guy who's been flagged the most on his team for holding, right? And you got a guy's been flagged X amount of times for PIs. You got to assume two things, that the opponent's going to scheme to try to draw one of those things, and they're going to falter. And listen, yeah, I mean, yes, having this amount of time between the end of your year and a bowl game is a nice reset, and I'm sure the Washington staff will want to harp on those things. But it's one thing to harp on it in practice, Chip, and it's another thing when the proverbial bullets are live and you go back to your instincts, right? So in my mind, uh, I I guess how big of a factor – that remains to be seen, but yeah, Chip, I don't see any reason to think that these guys won't default back to what they've been doing all year. Yeah. And just
1: for the fun of it in last year's Texas, Washington, Alamo bowl, um, the penalties, Washington, seven penalties for 45 yards Texas, six penalties for 45 yards. So even in that game, Washington, the more penalized team, even if it didn't show up in the yardage. Um, Eric, we got a lot going on. Um, It is December 17th, so we will have, uh, well, no, we won't.
0: We won't have another podcast before Christmas, will we? Um, No, probably not, because Christmas is, what, Monday? Yeah, so unless we're going to do it on the weekend, likely we will not. All right, so Merry Christmas, everybody.
1: And the next time we'll be talking to you, it will be from New Orleans. As we prepare for the college football semifinal in the sugar bowl between Texas and Washington. For Eric Henry, I am Chip Brown. Until next time, do not hesitate. If you are not a member of Horns247.com, you got to get over there. I mean, Eric told you in the insider last week, Dylan DeZoo was coming back. And we've been getting you up to date on all the little uh scoops here and there from Texas football practice and the fact that uh, Jotty Barron's working at safety, you're reading that at horns247.com. So until next time, we'll see you at horns247.com. Stay safe. Keep the faith. Happy holidays. The chilling new original docuseries
0: on Paramount+. Plus.